0: This is episode 338 of the AWS Podcast. Released on October 20th, 2019. Podcast confirmed.
1: Welcome to the official AWS Podcast.
0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the AWS Podcast. Simon Lisia here with you. Great to have you back. And I'm joined by a very special guest. I'm joined by Chris Rogers, who's a business development manager in our storage practice. G'day, Chris, how are you doing?
1: Hey Simon, I'm doing great.
0: That is good. Now you're a you're a you're a Bostonian. And if there's one thing I've learned about Bostonians, is a certain Bostonians almost have an Australian accent. I can't quite describe it, but there's 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 some nuance there. <laughs>
1: I'm not sure I fit into that category, Simon, but uh you know I can I can drop my Rs with the best that's of them the, and talk about the, my car think, and the Yes,
0: yacht. I think it's the dropping of the Rs that, that whenever I hear whenever I see a movie where there's like, you know, Marky Mark pretending to be from Boston, it's like yeah. that's, <laughs> that's that's how <laughs> it that could be an Australian accent. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> We're not here to talk about accents. We're here to talk about data and hybrid cloud storage. And so one of the challenges people often face is as they're moving into the cloud is firstly how do I take the data I've gotten move it in? What if I can't move all of it? What if I'm sort of in this hybrid mode? Lots of questions. So I thought it would be a good chance to have a bit of a chat about what you see globally with different customers. And maybe let's start with the the initial thing of, you know, someone says, hey, we're ready to to move to AWS, we're ready to go to the cloud. And by the way, here's my petabytes of storage that I've got existing. How do I start migrating? Where where do I start?
1: Yeah, it's a uh, tough question. We see that from a lot of customers, right? And, you know, you're looking at a, a pile of data out there in the enterprise across many different workloads, maybe across many different applications. And you know there are customers that will do some some lake work up in up front, and they may know where they want to start. One of the the best ways to answer that question, I would say, is that uh, a lot of customers tend to look towards backup and, and archives. They look at workloads that they've already backed up data. Maybe they want to move the data to the cloud to take advantage of resiliency, to take advantage of the the robust nature of the AWS cloud, to be able to store it robustly. And those backup workloads are usually out of the way of production workloads, right? They're, they're relatively static data sets. And so that's a that's a real good place for customers to start. But it is a challenge when customers are looking at, they know they want to move to the cloud. They often look to us and to our partners for advice on, on where to start and how to go about that.
0: Yeah, and I guess related to that, we've, we've built a lot of uh, services and tooling to Make it a bit easier, but maybe let's start. Let's start with the, the backup data, because it is somewhat the unloved data sets in the environment. I, I used to work for a backup vendor myself, and I remember speaking to customers, and they would look me in the eye and say, "No one likes paying for insurance," and that's what you are. I was like, "Okay." That's right. that's <laughs> I kind of right. get that's what right. you're saying, that's but right. it hurts a little bit. But these yep. are critical data sets, and and like you say, you know, the ability to store it on on S3 or S3 Glacier for for long term low cost storage that's very resilient is is appealing, but. You know, I might be running NetBackup, Tivoli, OmniBack. Who knows? Uh, Commvault in my environment. Sure. What What can I put in place to make that? I guess that leap to cloud seamless from a backup architecture perspective.
1: Yeah. So one of the things that works really well is uh, storage gateway, particularly uh, our tape gateway offering. sits in that type of scenario. So if you have Commvault or you have Veritas or one of those others that you mentioned, we work with, the Tape Gateway works with a lot of different partners so that you can keep that same front-end interface, keep your Commvault workloads in line. You put the Tape Gateway in the middle and the Tape Gateway talks to Commvault or to to the backup service that you have running. And then the Tape Gateway will take care of moving that data in a virtual way into Glacier or Glacier Deep Archive. And by doing that, being able to move that data to Glacier, Glacier Deep Archive, Archive, it gives customers a, a real nice way to move backups you know uh, do their their tiering uh, across the AWS storage tiers and you know if you move data into glacier deep archive uh, it's very very inexpensive it's actually uh, in a lot of cases it works out being less expensive than storing data on tapes off-site and so it becomes a very very reasonable way for for people to, to store data in fact one terabyte of data in glacier deep archive costs about a, a dollar a month twelve dollars a year to store a terabyte in glacier deep archive so very very reasonable price with that
0: and, and as you said with that reliable restore because this is uh you know "Quote unquote" live media versus versus tape, which often isn't exercised as much. And one of the interesting use cases I see with customers is where they're constrained from a data center or a colo perspective, and they just don't have a rack space. And if for our listeners who haven't seen a tape library, some of them are really honking great machines with massive robotic arms that whiz around, super impressive to watch working. But my goodness, do they take up a lot of space in a data center? So the option to replace that with uh, with you know a virtual machine that's sending encrypted data across a high performance network, pretty attractive.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right tape gateway will virtualize all that right so literally you have less moving parts right because yeah. you do have the robotic arms and everything so yeah and and a lot of uh you know a lot of enterprises are looking to get away from tapes but let's face it tapes have been around for a while because they are they they're known quantities people know how to you know work with those workloads, but we can, with Tape Gateway and, and services like Glacier and Glacier Deep Archive, we can give customers a real alternative to that. Absolutely.
0: Now let's move on to, to one of the, the other categories, I think, of tricky storage or storage that a lot of IT organizations probably struggle with because it's painful, but it uh, it also causes big impact to their users, which is shared Directories and uh, you know file servers, etc., um, NAS devices, that that type of thing. And you know we we actually don't necessarily recommend using storage gateway for all those types of scenarios. There's a few different options here now.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. You have you have uh, you have many options, right? If you're if you're looking for to move those you know shared directories, home directories into the cloud and host your file system in the cloud, you have services like FSX for Windows. You also have uh, Elastic File System, which is which are both cloud-hosted file systems. You also have S FSX for Luster, for high-performance compute workloads, HBC workloads. Yeah, so there's quite a few offerings, and you, you mentioned it, and it's probably worth clarifying that we don't recommend Storage Gateway in those cases, just because Storage Gateway, you really can think of Storage Gateway as a window into data that's stored into the cloud, and what Storage Gateway really does is it gives a, a local cache, so that if you do have a hybrid-type scenario where you have an application that's still sitting on-premises, that application may need to access cloud resident data. Storage Gateway is the way that it can do that, and it pulls data down on a frequently used based on a frequently used algorithm uh, pulls data down into the storage gateway cache, uh, which is up to 16 terabytes of cache, and it allows those applications to have low latency access to that data and so that's the distinction that we should make there's there's a lot of great cloud hosted file systems out there in the AWS portfolio like FSX and EFS and storage gateway kind of is related to those and then it, it can manage files and converts files to objects but it's somewhat of a different
0: use case there mm-hmm. it's not it's, you, know, if you if you're thinking shared directories and use User directories, yeah, um, FSX Windows, EFS, et cetera, is, is the way to go. So, so if, but when we talk about using the storage gateway as a, that that caching component for the the on premises part of, of an architecture, what are some of the classes of workloads that you see, or the types of applications that customers use that for?
1: Yeah, so we see really boils down to three. I mentioned backups and archives. It's a, it's a really great way to manage backups. You can have, uh, you know, for instance, you could have an SQL server that writes its backups to the storage gateway, and storage gateway then manages moving that workload that w- data set to the cloud, to S3 or to to another storage class, there is, you know, we see a lot of customers that take advantage of Storage Gateway to have unlimited storage, unlimited reliable storage on the back end, right? Think of think of Storage Gateway as providing access to the largest hard drive you could imagine, mm-hmm. right? If customers are, are building up an array on-prem and they're paying a lot of money for storage, they're buying in advance, right? And so one of the great things, of course, about uh, services like Amazon S3 is that it's pay-as-you-go. So you're if you're storing a terabyte, you're only paying for a terabyte. You're not paying for a hundred terabytes to just start to fill it up later. Right. And so that's a very different model for customers. And it's a a big savings. But getting back to the the use cases for Storage Gateway, Storage Gateway gives customers the ability to access a nearly uh, unending uh, uh, amount of storage that's out there. And then finally, giving applications, on-premises applications, low latency access to the data, as I mentioned before. So those are the three primary use cases that we see for Storage Gateway. Yeah. And
0: often it's those legacy applications that really um, don't understand how to communicate with cloud-based storage etc because they're older or just not not up to date for whatever reason and that tends to be an interesting use case as well doesn't it
1: that's exactly right yeah and you know we storage gateway gives customers that option that they don't have to move those applications to the cloud oftentimes like you say those legacy applications but they're they're very um spread out maybe throughout an organization they're, they're very well entrenched so to speak and, and they're very hard to move and so oftentimes customers find out that it's easier to move maybe easier to move the data to to allow the data to be protected and stored in AWS reliably. But the application might not be able to move ever or they might need to take their time. And so customers can really move at their own pace if they're looking at, uh, you know, and and they can really divide it by application. Lots of times customers have hundreds, if not thousands of applications. And, you know, a lot of times customers see success in looking at maybe their most important applications or maybe the easiest applications. And Storage Gateway gives customers a way to, to migrate what they want, when they want to. Definitely.
0: Now let's talk about moving that data. And, and obviously a lot of our listeners will be familiar with using the snowball devices to move hundreds of terabytes and snowmobile if you're moving hundreds of petabytes. So that's yep. a honking great truck. But there's also <laughs> a, a really cool network based option, which is really useful for a variety of use cases that we want to dive into because it's, it's something that we launched a while back, but maybe we we haven't spent enough time talking about it. And, and certainly lately the, the team have. Uh, done a huge amount of updates for customers. And this is something called Data Sync. Tell us about DataSync.
1: Yeah, thanks. That's, yeah, that's exactly right. So DataSync is an online data transfer tool. Uh, so if you think of uh, it as a data mover, it uh, it incorporates a lot of techniques like network acceleration, you know, TCP acceleration techniques where we can mitigate the effects of latency over uh, a wide area network where we can provide compression, we can do things like parallelization with DataSync. And DataSync really gives you a managed service that can scale up and out as customers need to. So if they need to use... Uh, a lot of bandwidth and they really have bandwidth available that they can migrate data, then DataSync is the the choice and it's a fully managed service, you know, and you contrast it with maybe DIY tools. People out there might be familiar with R-Sync, right? R-Sync's great, right? It's been around for a long time and stood the test of time and still in use today. If you think of R-Sync and and what it takes to implement R-Sync, you can script it, you can write it into your code and that becomes really handy. But where tools like R-Sync, and I don't mean to pick on R-Sync because I've used it myself many times, but, you know tools that are out there, maybe uh, open source tools, where they tend to fall apart is when you look at doing data migration at scale. And that's really what DataSync is built for, is data migration at scale across an organization where it can go out there and you think of it as a sweep arm and it just goes out and sweeps data and it moves that data into the cloud. You can filter by certain types of data, by certain locations, certain directories, and it does it securely. right? And to contrast that with the DIY tools that are available, when you want to do things across the entire enterprise, You'd maybe have to rely on uh, repeating that configuration and hoping that you get it right. The human factor comes in, right? So there's that consistency of implementation that you need to be careful of. You you have to verify that the transfers are secure. So you need to you need to get that right. And it quickly becomes complex. It's not impossible, but it's a lot of work, right?
0: Well, it's that classic undifferentiated heavy lifting that we like to talk about where customers, exactly right. customers said to us, hey, we're building stuff all the time to do this. Surely other customers have done the same thing. Why are we building That's this? Right. And, and I get that. I mean, I remember back in the day building out tsunami UDP-based migrations so that I could, uh, you know, use the wire to its maximum. And one of the things I like about um, AWS Data sync is it, it can use a, a 10 gig link fully, like it can just... Jam the data that's right. through. So if you're going to pay for those um, high-performance network links, you want to use them. And this this sort of does the the uh, the the compression, does the encryption, the retry logic, all that stuff. That's you know it's tricky. <laughs> we know network networking, yeah. networking oh, is sure. hard.
1: <laughs> yep, and it's it's funny because uh, I, I come you know in a former life I come from a networking background, and so yeah, networking can be hard. And I, you, a lot of our customers tell us that they don't really want to have to fiddle with network settings or with with uh, you know you know the optimization settings and things like that. And there are products out there that can do that Uh, but they just want to get their data into the cloud as fast as possible because really what tools like data sync and storage gateway do is they enable customers to get their data into the cloud so they can do some really cool stuff with other services whether it be machine learning or artificial intelligence or just you know working with uh, cloud-based databases like you know dynamo or redshift or all of those so we're really an enable the data sync and storage gateway are really enablers for for other technologies that customers really want to use
0: so and this is not just copying the the sort of the file systems uh, or the the data in the file systems across it's actually maintaining the integrity of the file system structure and the metadata as well, isn't
1: it? It's exactly right. Yeah, it's it's copying uh, right down to the file level and it's keeping track. Right, so it's it's looking at you mentioned data integrity. So it is that's a that's a very important point. I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things that DataSync does it sets it apart from some of the DIY tools out there is that it will actually validate and verify data as it goes. So it's integrity checking the data as the transfer is being uh, done. So that if you were to lose the connection. For whatever reason, you know the old backhoe, you know digs up a link and you mm-hmm. lose your connection or, or whatnot. DataSync knows where to resume. It knows what was copied and it knows where to pick up when service is restored. And it's a very that's a very important thing. We've actually had customers tell us that previous to using DataSync, they have spent a lot of money in the tens of thousands of dollars to to validate data. You know, you get you get a use case like a company moving medical records or financial transactions that they need to show proof that the data in the cloud is an exact match bit for bit to the data that was at the source, right? And so yeah. that's very, very important. And that's something that, that Datasync delivers.
0: And the other thing you touched on was that that certification. I mean, I think uh, recently the team announced FIPS endpoints and, and other certifications as well as private link support. So it's really aiming at making the data transfer secure, but also compliant.
1: That's exactly right. Right. And we hear from customers that those are important to be, some of them are, are, are somewhat of a checkbox, right? But being able to uh, support uh, FIPS endpoints, being able to uh, allow customers to use private link and Move the data through their VPCs so that it's secure, and they don't have to use the internet to move data. Certainly, Datasync can can get you up and running, and you can move data over the internet if you want to. But security is is a big thing, and even without. Uh, even if you don't use Private Link or you, you don't require FIPS, DataSync moves data in an encrypted fashion. And so if you're moving it into, say, an S3 bucket that's also uh, got server-side encryption on, you're moving data and you're encrypting data in-flight, and then you also are encrypting it at rest, which is obviously very important and a big part of the AWS story to to encrypt everything. Yeah, we want to make sure we do that.
0: And you touched on pricing, and just to, to share that with the listeners, the pricing is pretty straightforward. It's basically a flat fee per gig of uh, data that's transferred across, and from my searching around, it looks pretty consistent across the regions. It's basically four cents a gig, from what I can tell. That's right. So, yep. so nice and nice and easy to factor that in. If you say, "Hello, I'm, I'm migrating this many gig or, or this many terabytes," you can you can calculate it out. Now, obviously, you pay for obviously S3 and, and EFS in terms of the, the destination and stuff like that. But from just a, a, a planning of a migration, for example, it makes it pretty easy to to calculate out.
1: Yeah, it becomes pretty simple math, right? There's there's other elements of a migration that might be more complex, but we that's that's the way we design. And the service was that it was designed to be simple, and um, you know, the, I guess the difference with with DataSync and other services is that uh, we're charging for the ingress as well as uh, if you you can also take data out of uh, AWS and move it back to the, the premises. So it goes both ways, right? But you're, the really the cost is derived if you if you took it. You look at the the infrastructure that you'd have to build in order to build a scalable service that does encryption, that does data validation, that supports all the uh, protocols, SMB and NFS that we support, that can migrate to across different classes and things. That's really where the value for DataSync comes in, that it's all a managed service. And like I said at the the top, you can do these things uh, kind of as a DIY implementation, but DataSync takes away a lot of the complexities involved with them. Yeah,
0: you you can, but you don't have to.
1: That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. we will be as, uh, as simple or as complex as you, you make it, I suppose. And, uh, so. and I
0: guess that's the nice thing is, you know, some people do have, you know, real nuances on the way they want to move their data or things they need to do to it on the moving process. And so this may be a fit or it may not be. And it's kind of like if you want to use it, it's there. If you don't want to use it. You don't have to use it exactly, yeah. And so, um, in, in your travels, your storage travels, question, question without notice, um, what's been your favorite storage story? Like, what have you seen a customer do or 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 get benefit from moving to AWS or using storage on AWS that they sort of like went, wow, this is very cool.
1: So that's a that's a great question. I guess. Um you know, there's, there's a bunch that come to mind, but the, some of the coolest ones that I've seen are, you know, out there with customers that are really looking at our services. When we've talked, we, we mentioned Snowball a little bit, Storage Gateway, DataSync, and it's actually implementations that I've worked with where I've worked with customers where they've kind of used some of all of those. right? And let me give you a, kind of a generic example of that, where you can think of DataSync as moving data up online right moving data over the network link you can think of uh, snowball as moving data offline right a lot of people think it's it's one or the other and what a lot of times we see where there's workloads or let's say a customer has um you know 100 terabytes of data that they want to move they might want to move some of that data because it's not so uh, hot if you will that that they can afford to move it meaning afford in in the timing that they can move it with snowball where snowball takes a little bit of time uh, to order and process and move the data but uh, snowball nonetheless is a, a perfectly viable way to keep data off of your network maybe you only have limited network bandwidth or maybe you have a disconnected site snowball becomes a real nice way to move that data that might be a little colder and you could use data sync in a complementary fashion within the same 100 terabytes and move maybe that portion of that data set in this example that might be more active data data sync does very very well with active data data sets that are constantly changing right we see that a lot in life sciences and genomics where they're constantly writing data from sequencers and things like that where those are you know they're they're Constantly creating data. DataSync does very well in those environments and allows customers to move active data sets. And then, on top of all of that, once you've moved the data into your S3 bucket or buckets, if you will, then you can use Storage Gateway to get that data down if you have applications that need to access it. So, it's really kind of the whole environment of, of tools that can work together, to become the, the cooler. Yeah, it's about
0: combining, combining those tools rather than, you know, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. You've got the whole toolkit to, to throw at the problem.
1: That's right. That's right. And we're, we're really lucky that, that we have. A variety of tools, and I think it, it goes both ways. It's double edged sword, right? We, the number of tools that we have to move data into S three, it's like eleven or twelve different uh, services that can move data into AWS. That can be very confusing for customers. But for the customers that that have those needs for maybe streaming data with something like Kinesis, which we haven't even talked about, right? Or, or moving data with Data Sync or Snowball, we have uh, the answers, and and we see some architectures that come together. Those are the coolest architectures that I like working with for sure. And
0: we also uh, put together web pages that sort of combine the different complementary solutions. So for example, when we're we're talking hybrid cloud storage, if you visit, uh, and we'll put a link in the show notes, adbs.amazon.com forward slash products, forward slash storage, forward slash hybrid dash cloud dash storage. That is where sort of everything we've talked about kind of comes together in one handy place.
1: That's right. And and it's a place where you can go and and uh, get a lot of information about not just, you know, the service speeds and feeds, which everyone enjoys those, right? But uh, being able to understand how to put them together as a solution. And that's really what that site's all
0: about. Exactly. And, and some of the, some of the great customer stories that are there, people like, um, you know, Southern Oregon University, Home24, King, Stem Cell Technologies, Kellogg's, iRobot, you know, just a bunch of really interesting stories and use cases. And it, it kind of helps to see those patterns that have been deployed before, because like you said, with all the all the choices, it's like, well, maybe narrow my choices down a little for me <laughs> so I know what to do and get right. those nice patterns to follow.
1: That's right. And, and you know, while we're at it, you, you referenced the other source. It, I'd uh, be remiss if I didn't call out a blog that was recently published uh, that, that it was co-written uh, with AWS and Autodesk. Autodesk was a very successful data sync story where they took and were able to migrate 700 terabytes of data sync uh, using data sync, 700 terabytes of data using data sync. And so they're very happy. And there's a blog out there and I'll, we'll get that in the show notes too, fantastic, hopefully.
0: Fantastic. Always nice to see how it gets used in the field. Chris, uh, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Uh, thanks for having me, Simon. It was a pleasure. It uh, it flew by. <laughs>
0: it goes fast when having fun.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Exactly right.
0: And we do love to get your feedback the best podcast at amazon.com is the place to do that and until next time keep on building